Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. When I went to the dentist as a kid, I'd throw up every time. I hated going. The whizzing pitch of the drill, the gritty paste. Okay, let's see what we have here. Open wide. It got bad enough. The dentist told my father I should skip meals before appointments. As an eight-year-old, the last place I wanted to be was the dentist's office. And maybe when COVID forced dentists to close their doors, eight-year-olds around the country rejoiced. But for dentists... The pandemic put the financial squeeze on their practices and the oral health of their patients at risk. Certainly no cause for celebration. Today, we talk to one dentist about her ride on the COVID roller coaster, from shutting down to reopening and the missed appointments in between. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Stacy, if you would please introduce yourself, your name, your title, a little bit about yourself, and definitely say your last name slowly. So when I say it, I don't, I don't butcher it. Okay. Well, my name is Dr. Stacy Van Skoik, and uh, the Van Skoik is my husband's name. So it's you are correct. It's a bit of a challenge. We typically go by Dr. Stacy and Dr. John. Stacy met her husband, John, in dental school in Chicago 30 years ago. She was a city kid. He was born and raised in Bloomington, a suburban town of about 80,000 people in the middle of rural Illinois, halfway between Chicago and St. Louis. Illinois has pretty much been designated corn and soybean land, so that's exactly what's, what's out in the fields around us. When we decided to come down here to live, well, I told him it would I told him, let me just try it for a year. I just don't know if I can live here because this is very different than living in the city. When the couple first got to Bloomington, Stacy and John worked at the county's children's dental clinic. They got the itch a few years later to open up their own practice. We went to the bank, took out some money, and as you say, quote unquote, hung up a shingle with no cash flow, just survivability mode. You know, what do we need just to survive? Stacy and John run what she calls a bread and butter practice, covering the basics, but nothing too fancy. In 20 years, their business has grown from a small office serving 400 people to treating 2,200 patients with a full-time staff of eight and annual revenues north of $1 million. And at the beginning of 2020, business was booming. We were having some of our best months that January and February pretty much ever. As February turned to March and COVID started dominating the headlines, Stacy braced herself for big changes at work. 
She was the vice president of the Illinois State Dental Society. And on a Sunday night, Stacy got on a call with other top dentists across the state to talk about how they should respond to this new threat. I remember getting off the phone, it was close to midnight, and we put out the announcement the next day on a Monday and recommended the dentists across the state close their practices in order to preserve PPE for the medical professionals and just only treat emergency procedures. That was hard. It was really hard. In March and April, 97% of dentists nationwide said they were only seeing emergency patients or completely closed. That's according to research from the American Dental Association's Health Policy Institute. Researchers there have been surveying dentists throughout the pandemic, and it's one of the best sources we have to understand how COVID has impacted the financial well-being of dentists and the oral health of their patients. In those early days, Stacy struggled with the knowledge that she was telling her colleagues across Illinois to shut down, potentially going several months without income. I didn't know how long this was going to last. I was optimistic that it wasn't the dentists were not going to have to shut down for months, but I didn't know. And that's what the fear was. She was also worried about her own business. Stacy handles the practice's long-term budgeting, and with money just trickling in, she ran the numbers. You know, how long can we go with paying staff out of our business savings? You know, how long can we survive as a family out of our personal savings? It was to that level of making the decisions like we did when we first started our office 19 years ago. What do we absolutely need to have to live off of? And the decision was we needed to furlough everybody besides two staff members. The hygienist, the dental assistants, and the two doctors, we all went on unemployment. In April 2020, 45% of dentists said they were not paying any staff, and just 13% said they were paying staff fully. Stacy says furloughing her team was one of the hardest things that she's ever done. I felt sick to my stomach, defeated, like a failure, because our staff, you know, we've been working together for so long, they feel like a family, and I wasn't able to continue to support them. That hurt. Stacy was reeling. She'd gone from some of her most profitable months ever to looking for part time work. I, I make money and I support my family by putting my hands in people's mouths. And when that couldn't happen, I was like, well, what could I fall back on? And, and that's where I got scared. So I just called a friend. I was like, well, I have a biology degree. And he happened to work at the university. And he had mentioned that they had communicated with him about having his labia COVID testing site. I'm like, well, I could work and help do some COVID, run some COVID tests if I need to. And it's at least some source of income in addition to unemployment. COVID kept Stacy's practice effectively shuttered for 10 weeks. She didn't get another job. She did tighten the family budget and dip into their savings. It also helped that she received about $300,000 in government loans through the Paycheck Protection Program and Small Business Administration. 92% of dentists surveyed by the American Dental Association, or ADA, said they got some sort of government assistance. 
for Stacy. That money meant she was able to hire her entire staff back by the time they reopened. When we return, the challenges and opportunities of post-lockdown dentistry. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. After two and a half months of only seeing emergency patients, Stacy Van Skoik and her husband reopened their practice on June 1st, 2020. What really was different when you got back in a way you completely did not anticipate? I would just say exhaustion, complete exhaustion. In a dental world, we, we schedule our patients six months in advance, so we already, on day one, we already had a full schedule, and then we needed to have you know, people who had missed and were wanting to come back in, trying to find spots for them, which ended up meaning we actually lengthened our days. We added Fridays, and we added two extra part-time hygienists to come in. I was being a dental assistant, or my husband was a dental assistant when I was practicing. We were, you name it, we were doing everything. As patients streamed back into her office, Stacy saw the impact of those months of missed appointments. Usually nothing major. Everything was just a bit worse. A little more plaque, a little extra scraping. Kind of what you'd expect. We might have had a 50-minute appointment scheduled for them. Well, that now they need a 60-minute because it's been an extra three or four months. Stacy was lucky. Many practices did not see a flood of patients as soon as they reopened. People have been slower to return in big cities and to public health dentists like those who practice at federally qualified health centers. Because of that, patient volumes nationwide are still just 86% of pre-COVID levels according to the ADA. And when people stay away for a long time, bad things sometimes happen. Like with one woman in her early 20s who Stacy saw just a few weeks ago. She had missed almost two years by the time that she came back in to see us. But she came in, she sat down, and she was crying. The woman told Stacy that every time she touched her gums, they started bleeding. At home, she was trying anything she could. She was brushing, she was flossing, 
Of course, she was doing the, the searching on the internet, the, looking for Dr. Google, and Dr. Google, Google told her she had periodontal disease, and so she seemed to think that she was going to lose all of her teeth. Stacy and her dental assistant tried to calm her down. No luck. Stacy had to pull in a dental hygienist, and the three of them together were finally able to get the woman to stop crying. We just tried to reassure her and calm her down and said, look, we know what the problem is. This is because you need your teeth cleaned. You have filled up under here that you cannot get off with a toothbrush. You need us to get in there and clean it. Once this is done, you will see things are going to get better. You'll be okay. Dentists are dealing with more than a spike in cavities and gum disease. They're witnessing COVID's mental health toll. Two-thirds say they've seen more broken teeth as the stress of the pandemic manifests in people's mouths. Many more people have been grinding and clenching. And typically in a week or in a month, I might see one patient that came in with a fractured tooth. Now it's at least once a week. Okay, just have a couple of items at the top. Um, On March 12th, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters that President Biden was issuing an executive order to expand the number of people who can give COVID vaccines. To dentists, optometrists, paramedics, physician assistants, veterinarians, and many more. Uh, So... Dozens of states had already okayed dentists to give COVID shots, but Biden's order opened the door to all of the country's 150,000 dentists to get into the vaccine game. It makes sense. Dentists give injections every day, so they've got the skills, and dentists are another trusted healthcare provider who might be able to convince more people to get vaccinated. And yet, only 4% of dentists say they're administering COVID vaccines. Most say either they don't have time or aren't interested, but not Stacy. This was just something that I felt strongly that I wanted to be a part of and help our community get better as quickly as possible. And for me personally, whenever I'm giving a vaccine, I just feel like I'm helping save a life, whether it's that person's life or some other person that they may ever have some contact with. Stacy is not giving these shots at her practice. Instead, she's volunteering at mass vaccination sites in her community. Very few dentists are actually doing vaccines at their office. Stacy says she'd like to, but she has to wait for the state dental society to put together a special training course and their other challenges like storage, billing, and waning demand. But Stacy is hopeful that the government's willingness to let dentists give COVID shots will open the door to giving more vaccines in their offices, like flu shots and the HPV vaccine. You know, as a mother, I make sure my kids go to their doctors. No questions asked. They do. They get their immunizations. They they go in. But for me, do I always go? No. And in, what we find out from our patients many times is that they don't go see their primary care provider. So, you know, going to their dentists, some people really, they come in every six months. We have the opportunity twice a year to give them any of these vaccines if necessary. But right now we're just encouraging them to go to their healthcare provider. Stacy, final question. Looking back on the last 15 months, what do you think will be the lasting impact of the pandemic on your practice and on you as a dentist? You know, it reinvigorated me in terms of my profession because when you can't do what you were trained to do, it brings a little bit of 
excitement back into your career when you are able to get back into it again? It felt good. Instruments in hand, a person in the chair. But the pandemic has helped Stacy see that her time with her tools and patients is limited. She's begun to think about work beyond her practice. Is there something else that I can do with my career too? You know, what else could I do with my dental degree? I haven't, I haven't figured that one out. Stacy, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us on Tradeoffs. Thank you very much, Dan. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. This summer, many of us are chomping at the bit to finally take a vacation and soak in some sun. How are health economists celebrating the start of summer? With back-to-back health policy conferences. Get your fanny packs and t-shirts ready because we're hopping on the tour bus for a behind-the-scenes look at what happens when hundreds of the country's top health policy minds get together. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed what you heard today on Tradeoffs, we want to know about it. Fill in our listener survey. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to tradeoffs.org and click on the big orange button. It only takes a moment of your time and really helps us out. The Tradeoffs team is producer Ryan Levy, Chief of Strategy and Operations Jessica Silverman, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Marco Vujicic. Additional thanks to Ashley Krantz, Sam Joaquim, Dave Marsh, Andrew Mata, and Reggie Fields. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Leonard Berman, Christy Martin, and Bianca Frogner. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.